We are over in Ezekiel chapter 36. For those that are here, we do have the outlines out in the, the back stool. I didn't make a mention of them to the folks here earlier. So, let's go over to review some things here from Ezekiel chapter 35 here first. We were looking at ancient hate. And in the area of uh, ancient hate, we saw that that the ancient hatred had come in more likely from a past event, not just that ancient hate is is old, and uh, though it certainly is. And this one, it seemed to go back to the event that happened between uh, Jacob and Esau that took the birthright and gave it to Jacob, that many have uh, apparently held that as a held that as a, a wrong done to them. And so the younger generation was taught this hate by the older generation. And this was mostly going on over in the nation of Edom, not so much in the area of, of uh, Israel. It didn't seem that the ancient hate was from Israel to Edom, as we saw them when they were wandering around the wilderness, that they very respectfully asked to pass through the land of Edom and were very rudely denied. So the, the hate seemed to be just on the one side. So whenever you have an ancient hatred, it's the older generation passing it off into the younger generation. These are seldom based on actual facts, but how the events are passed down. And once an event has been passed down, and once people know, well, this is what my granddaddy told me, this is what my grandmom told me, uh, there is no contesting it. That is the way that it happened. And that's how you can tell that it's an ancient hatred, because you can't deal with it anymore. You can't deal with the actual source. Such facts, they cannot be contested. There is no opposition. These things are deeply rooted inside of them. And any any opposition that would come against the facts that they know, this just stirs up a feeling of great anger and rage, even bitterness. They're so caught up with these feelings that they're propelled to do things normally they wouldn't even do. But because of this ancient hatred, this and it doesn't mean that they was with them for an ancient period of time, but it is an ancient hatred. And as soon as we grab hold of it, as soon as we pull it into our life, it can cause us to do things we wouldn't normally do whenever that hatred is activated. That was the first thing we saw that they they did, that Edom had done, or Mount Seir. The second thing was using spiritual principles against God's people. They were speaking things that were not as though they were. They were confessing the land that Israel had and saying, we're going to get it, it's going to be ours. And we looked at the fact that you can have spiritual principles and the world can use spiritual principles for their own benefit and they do work. Uh, the law of sowing and reaping works for the saved and the unsaved. The law of extending mercy works for the saved and the unsaved. You can keep on going down the list. We covered a number of things on it last time. But when you use those spiritual principles against the people of God, that's uh, when you incur wrath. And they certainly had done that. We looked at ancient hate in today's world. We see that this will be present when I don't know the offending person. So I'm offended, I picked up that offense, I picked up that hatred, but I don't know the person that actually caused it. We used the Hatfield and McCoys, remember, as an example for that. And this thing, that feud had gone on for a hundred or plus years, and none of them knew the original offending parties anymore, but they carried on that hatred anyway. Other people were offended, and they're the ones who passed it on. I cannot make interviews or get the facts. I'm not open to the details being changed from how I understand them. Any mention of the situation changes my disposition and some level of anger will emerge. 
The mans were made of people who didn't have part in the original sin. And we saw this here, even here with, with these folks. The original sin, of course, was between Jacob and Esau. But Edom was demanding things of Israel. And the people that were alive in Israel at the time had no part in what had gone on between the brothers. Now, the enemy loves to pull you into this kind of hate. As outside of God's love, there is no way out. The path leads to pride, hard-heartedness, bondage, and servanthood to the hate. And judgment will be its end game. To walk away from this kind of hatred means anger from those who gave it. And we used a couple of our uh, modern-day plays and things like that. West Side Story, I think, was one of them. Romeo and Juliet was another. Uh, people who tried to walk away from the hate and they got all that anger came against them. That is a sign of ancient hate. Don't let it in your life. It will mess with you. It will affect you greatly and cause you to be less in the calling that God has for you than you would be otherwise. It can actually disqualify us and take us out of the game completely. Ezekiel 36. Let's look over here at verse 1. Ezekiel 36 and verse 1. And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said of you, Aha! The ancient heights have become our possession. So last time we had ancient hate and this time we have ancient heights. So we, uh, this is, uh, goes along with the restoration message. That is over in chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. We're going to read parts of it. But that was also addressed to the mountains and the hills. Now here we're going to see three accusations against Edom. And we know it's Edom down in verse 5. Edom is mentioned. And it seems that some other nations were also mentioned as well. Let's read that again. Take heed. Just lost my spot. Thus says the Lord God, Because the enemy has said of you, Aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. Now referring back over to chapter 6, there is a verse uh, or a, a word in verse 2 that is translated high places. And it's a word that is uh, a prophecy against the high places that Israel had set up. This word high places is the exact same word here as translated heights. So what we're actually looking at is because the enemy has said of you, aha, the ancient high places have become our possession. It's not just ancient heights, it's ancient high places. So in your blank, you can fill that in there. Heights is the same word as high places. So they're saying, aha, the ancient high places have become our possession. Now this gives us a clue about some things about the high places that Israel built that we may not have uh, understood otherwise. These high places for pagan worship, they were thought to have special powers and were considered a prized possession. They were former, formerly places used by the Canaanites. Now remember the Canaanites were the uh, nations that Israel had uh, deposed from the land. But they had used these mountains and these high places on these mountains to worship these foreign gods. So when Israel came along and made the high places, initially it seemed that the high places were just places for convenience to worship God. And if that's, that is the case, they may have started out that way, but they eventually changed to where they were now using these high places for their original intent, which was to worship the idols that they were erected to. So what you had was, Israel was going through here, and they had initially destroyed these high places. 
these ancient high places that were considered to be a great prize, they were thought to have special powers. Now remember the, the Canaanites, these weren't novices in the area of, of idolatry. Israel would be considered a novice in the area of idolatry compared to these people. They had not only great, by, by the world standards, not only great high places, but the things they did at these high places in the area of the occult, in the area of calling on demon powers, was apparently legendary. And many of the nations around considered these particular high places that were in the land of Israel, formerly the land of Canaan, to have great mystical powers. They saw the place as being a great mystical place, a great mystical power. There, there was something about the place, not just the idols that they worshipped. We may look at some of these things. You know, the Stonehenge is one of those uh, constructions. No one really knows exactly what was involved with it. We believe that there was some kind of a calendar that it was was used, but it also seemed to be a, a place of uh, a cult and and witchcraft and and things along those lines that would go on. Uh, exactly how we don't have all the details of that, but that's a place that's revered by a lot of uh, uh, old civilizations. They see that place as something great, and if they're able to come into possession of it, they would uh, maybe try and reinstate some of those things that were done. So this is what what is coming to Edom. Once Israel had gone into land and deposed the Canaanites, they had looked lustfully at these high places, saying, we want those high places, and we want to be able to do the things that the Canaanites had done on those high places, because we see those high places as as sacred in the occult world. And so they envied those particular high places. This is one of the reasons why they were saying, we're going to have these mountainous areas. We're going to possess these things. They're going to become ours. So Israel knew the history of these high places. And so somewhere along the line, they decided to resurrect the history of these things and didn't just let them stay broken down. And they rebuilt the original high places. And this is what the Ezekiel is talking about here. Verse uh, 3, Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, because they made you desolate, swallowed you up on every side, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations, and you are taken up by the lips of the talkers and the slanders of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes, and the cities that have been forsaken which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Now, the next verse here in verse 5 is going to talk about Edom specifically, but you see that some of the other nations are also mentioned in this. This is not specifically about Edom. This previous chapter was, but Edom is mentioned. And so some of the other nations had done these things as well. So first off in verses 3 and 4, we said they had plundered and they made desolate. Here in the, these verses, they had plundered Israel. They had plundered the mountains and they made these uh, mountains, these, this land desolate. So the three accusations against Edom, first off, they had taken possession of a land God had not given them. This was God's land. This was the land that God had sectioned out for his people. He told Abraham, Abraham, this is the land I'm going to give you. And so way back in Abraham's day, this has been uh, set aside. This is going to be Israel's land. And even though they didn't have possession of it right away, God still saw it as their land. And now you have Edom saying, we're going to take this stuff. Uh, they're not caring that it's God's land. They're not caring that Israel was given it as, as a possession. They only say, no, we're going to have it. 
And so they plundered the land and they made the land desolate. Then it says that they slandered and mocked God's people. How many people do we know out there today that are slandering and mocking God's people? We see sometimes in the news, they find somebody who's a Christian. They find somebody who's a Christian business person. And they find reasons to mock them. They may find uh, ministers, pastors, missionaries who are engaged in certain things for the kingdom and try and find the worst possible way they can frame whatever it is that they said or did and try and, and turn them into a mockery. Uh, many times I've, I've heard some of these stories that have gone on and when the truth came out, the uh, news media, all they would do to make a retraction is put it in some out-of-the-way place and say, well, we made a retraction. That's, that wasn't true. But when they, of course, made the accusation that was front front page, uh, many, many minutes given to the broadcast or whatever it might be, and uh, they just don't don't go back and set the record sh- straight afterwards. They're slandering the people of God. They're slandering the ministers that God has, and they're mocking God's people. Now, God takes note of this. If we look at this stuff going on and we say, ah, gets me so angry. Why doesn't God do something about it? God is taking note. And when God does something about it, it's pretty severe. It's going to happen. Just sit back and relax. Don't fret it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about who they take out or who they they try and uh, mess with. Um, God is is up there. He's watching this thing. And He will be taking care of it. We don't have to be concerned about it ourselves. Verse 5. Now here we have, we had three of the, uh, speaking of the nation of Edom, we had three accusations that were against them. Here we have three promises toward the land of Israel. Therefore, thus says, thus says the Lord God, Surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession. With wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, and the valleys. Israel has been mostly desolate from the people. There are some people that are still around there. But for the most part, it's desolate for the people. So God is speaking to the land itself. He's speaking to the mountains. He's speaking to the hills. He's speaking to the rivers. He's speaking to the valleys. He says, prophesy concerning the land of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury because you have borne the shame of the nations. God had got angry at these things that were done. We, we listed the three accusations. God was angry at these three things that were done. And now he's speaking to the mountains. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed I am with, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. Now he's not talking about people being tilled and sown. He's talking about the land. He's talking about the mountains. He's talking about the the hills. He's talking about all these these places that are there. He's talking about them yielding the fruit for the people. The people will eventually be brought out. The people will eventually come back. And he says, when that happens, you're going to bring forth branches and yield fruit. And the land is going to be tilled and it's going to be sown. So these are... Let's, uh, let's get into some of the promises he's going to be, be uh, making here. That first off, 
in verse 8, first promise would be that you would become fruitful again. That the land of, of Israel will go into a place of being barren and desolate. And when Israel is pulled out, that very fruitful land became barren and it became desolate. If you look over in Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 8 through 10, that's just a small section of the reference I gave you before in 6. Yet I will leave a remnant so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered through the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart which has departed from me. And by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols they will loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in all their abominations. And they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. So he's talking about those who would escape and those that they would be remembered among the nations. He said, there's going to be some of you, you're going to be, you're going to escape, you're going to get out there among the nations. Then the goal that God had was that they would remember God to the nations. The way they were supposed to do it, this is not how they did it. The way they were supposed to do it was to say, we serve the living God. Our God brought us into the land. He delivered us from a people that was very great and very strong and brought us into this, this land. And this land became very fruitful and it multiplied and we were blessed in the land. But we disobeyed God and we served idols and we didn't stay faithful to our God. And so our God judged us and our God removed us from the land. But our God has promised us that he will gather us from the nations. He will take us from all the corners of the earth where we are and he will bring us back to the land. And when he brings us back to the land, that land will become plenteous. It will become fruitful. Right now, while they're in captivity, this land becomes very desolate. But this is what they were supposed to be saying to the people. This is The, the prophets were telling them, this is what is going to happen. And so they were supposed to take what the prophets had said to them and declare it, even though it hadn't happened yet. Declare it as if it was so. That was the testimony that God wanted their, His people to have for Him among the people. Go on out there. Going out there, you're going to be amongst the people. I want you to go out there. I want you to tell them, we missed it. We didn't do what God said to do. And because of it, God judged us. Our being removed from the sand, from, from the land has nothing to say about the strength of our God or the ability of our God to deliver us. It has everything to say about our faithfulness. And we were unfaithful. But we have learned our lesson. And we will be faithful now. And now we just wait for the day when God will bring us back into the land. And when we come back in the land, that land will be fruitful. And it will bring forth fruit. It will bring forth crops. It will do all the things that we need it to do. And we will be gathered together. And as the, I'll jump ahead here, but one of the things that he says, they're going to be rebuilding the, the, the walls. They're going to be rebuilding the cities. They're going to inhabit them again. Verse 10. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the city shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young, and I will make you inhabited as in former times, and do better for you than at your beginning. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So the second thing is, beside the land becoming fruitful, because again, the land is going to be desolate. It's, it's, it's not desolate yet. They have just been removed from the land. But it's going to be desolate. And it's going to remain that way. And it's going to become known that Israel 
is now a desolate wasteland. So the first thing is going to be that's going to be restored. The second thing, the people of Israel return and fill it. The people of Israel are going to return to this desolate place that no one wants. They're going to return there and they're going to fill it. The third thing is things will be even better than they were. As good as things were before, God says, I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to make it even better. He said in verse 11, I will make you an inhabited as in former times and do better for you than at your beginning. As good as it was for Israel at their beginning. At their beginning when they were serving God. God says it's going to be even better now. I'm going to bring you into something even better. So that's three promises that they had. God made three accusations against their enemies. He gave them three promises about the land. Verse 12, Yes, I will cause men to walk on you. My people Israel, they shall take possession of you. Speaking to the land, not the people. Don't say that he's saying they're going to walk on the people. He speak this prophecy is to the mountains. It's to the hills. It's to the land itself. Yes, I will cause men to walk on you. My people Israel, they shall take possession of you. And you shall be their inheritance. No more shall you berave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour men and berave your nation of children. Therefore, you shall devour men no more, nor berave your nation anymore, says the Lord God. Nor will I let you hear the taunts of the nations anymore. This is the land hearing the taunts. We may not always think that land can hear, but apparently God says it can. Nor will I let you hear the taunts of the nations anymore, nor bear the reproach of the peoples anymore, nor shall you cause the nation to stumble anymore, says the Lord. Now, back in Numbers chapter 13, verse 32, the spies went into the land and they described the land as a land that devours its inhabitants. That's how they described it. A land that devours its inhabitants. And what God is saying here in verse 13 is that apparently the land returned to that description. While Israel was there, it was no longer a land that devoured its inhabitants. But when Israel is removed it apparently becomes a land that devours its inhabitants. Whether that means that wild beasts spring up and just start eating people, or whatever it might be is going on there, it's described as the land devouring the inhabitants. He says, verse 13, Thus says the Lord God, Because they say to you, You devour men and berave the nation of children. Therefore you shall devour men no more, nor berave your nation anymore, says the Lord God. Nor will I let you hear the taunts of the nations anymore nor bear the reproach of the peoples anymore, nor shall you cause your nation to stumble anymore, says the Lord. So what's interesting is, God gave a promise that this land was for Abraham. Abraham, I want you to walk through the land. This land is yours. It's not his yet, but God gave him a promise. This will be your land. Right now the Canaanites are in it. And when when, uh, they go into the captivity with Egypt and 430 years later they send out the spies and the spies go out through the land and look at the land and they say this land devours its inhabitants whatever they were seeing they saw something that showed them the land devoured its inhabitants that this land was promised to Israel and while Israel was not there in control of the land the land devoured its inhabitants then Israel comes in and that stops and now Israel is removed and the land goes back to devouring its inhabitants Apparently, this land, Canaan, if Israel is not in it, it it can be a very nasty place. Not just a barren and desolate place, but a place that devours the inhabitants. He says, I will not let you hear the taunts of the nations anymore, nor bear the reproaches of the peoples anymore, nor shall you cause 
your nation to stumble anymore. People take for themselves what God had intended for the children, for His children. Whatever they take, it will turn on them. Now think about this for yourself. How many things has God promised you? This is yours. It may be, I'm just, just throwing things out here, but what if God said, this promotion is yours and someone else comes in and steals it? We can get all upset. We can get all bothered because somebody else has what God told me down, down in my spirit. God said, that's going to be yours. And someone else moved in there and stole it. It seems that if people take the things that are intended for God, the thing that they took will turn on them. It will bring harm to them. Now, here's another case of that. You remember when we had the uh, uh, children of Israel? They went into Jericho. And they were. God said, everything in there is mine. Don't take any of it. And you remember a certain person? <laughs> he, he decided, well, I'm just going to I'm just going to store a little, a few little things away. And that didn't work out so well for him, did it? You see, when you take what God has declared to be, and he, God has declared His purpose. This thing has this purpose. God didn't declare a purpose for the land of Edom. God didn't declare a purpose for the land of Assyria. He didn't declare a purpose for the land of Jordan. Or it's in Jordan now. Of course, back then it was Moab and Ammon and, and so forth. He did not declare a purpose for those lands. So if somebody else were to come in and take them, God hadn't declared a purpose for them. But Israel, He declared a purpose for. So understand this in your life. If God has declared a purpose for something, and the devil, another, another person on this earth, has moved in and taken what God has declared a purpose for, that thing they took will turn on them. That thing they took will come after them. Don't you? If, if somebody stole something that God had decreed, I don't mean that you just wanted it and you just claimed it by faith. We're not talking about that. I'm talking that God said down inside, uh, Steve, that is something I want you to do. That is something, that it, that is your purpose. That is what you need to do. And someone else moves in. Not If I'm lazy and I'm not out there doing what I'm supposed to do, that's a different matter. But if somebody comes in and steals, takes what God had declared to me, I can sit back and say, well, God, they're not where they're supposed to be. They're where I'm supposed to be. That's going to hurt them. That's just how the, how these things work. And we see that here in, in this part. Well, let's keep on going on here. Verse 16. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. When the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood that they had shed on the land and for the idols with which they had defied it. So the reason that this whole thing came about was because of what they had done. The land was defiled by Israel. It was not defiled by the enemies of Israel. It was defiled by Israel by following their own ways and deeds instead of God's. God declared in the law, this is what you are to do. And they decided, we don't want to do that. We're going to do this. I like this better. And sometimes we do that too. Sometimes we have, I got a better idea than what God said. God declared His word, this is how things ought to be. No, I got a better idea. And we try and go along in the, the better idea. And uh, 
we will defy or defile those things that God has put in our possession if we walk in that way. So I may have something that God called me to. God says, Steve, this is your purpose. This is what you need to go out there and do. And if I do things my own way and not God's way, I bring defilement upon it and open it up to the enemies of Israel. Just like this one where the enemies of Israel could come in. So he said they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. They defiled it by their own... You can't blame anyone else for this. It was their own ways. It was their own deeds. He said in verse 18, Therefore I poured out my fury in them for the blood that they had shed on the land and for their idols which they had which they had defiled it. So there were these uh, ways and deeds were brought out in two areas. The first area is bloodshed. You can put in there violence as well. Uh, where they're shedding blood, um, getting the bloodshed through violence. And the second was idolatry. Now there's more ways than just that that you can defile the land. But this is the, the ways that God had talked about here. Verse 19, So I scattered them among the nations. And they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. And when they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. So instead of going out to the people that they were going into the captivity, into the nations and being captives, instead of going out there and saying, we missed it. We didn't do what God said to do. We went our own way. We defiled the land. We served idols instead of the God who brought us into the land. But God, and, and then declare the things that God is going to do. Instead of doing all that and bringing honor to his name, Instead, they went out there and said, we are the people of God. And God didn't keep us in the land. God didn't deliver us. It's His fault. And they blamed Him. These are the people of the Lord. And yet they have gone out of His land. How could that be? How could there be a God who's all-powerful who couldn't keep us in the land that He promised us? Now, we do a lot of these kind of things today. You'll hear people make these declarations that, uh, you know, we're a, we're a servant of God. How could God take my child? How could God take my whoever? How could God bring this calamity on, on me? How could God do... And they'll just name all these different things. Don't be doing that. That's what the, these folks did. They brought dishonor to the name of God. Never speak words that dishonor God. Because if you do, you're bringing something back on your own head. You're bringing something back, uh, a judgment that will come upon you. Don't be doing it. Whatever you speak, speak words that, that honor God, that honor the Father. I don't understand how this happened, but what I know is God loves me. God cares for me. God's promises are true. What God has said will come about. Something happened. I missed something. I didn't see something. I don't know what it was. Something happened. But God is still my God. Always bring honor to the name of God. Never bring him dishonor. Never bring his name into some of these sinful things that people are doing. I hear some of these, uh, these politicians that get up there on stage. Uh, one, one of the foremost, I tell you, every time she gets up on stage, I don't, I don't hardly ever listen to her or hear her, but every once in a while, uh, I'll see something written that she says, but that Nancy Pelosi, I'll tell you, she just says stuff. Uh, it's amazing that she's still alive. <laughs> But some, I don't mean people going up there and I'm talking about the judgment of God coming down upon her like the judgment of God came down upon Aaron when he, uh, when he had that cloak 
came on off of him. Because she has made some declarations of some things and she has mixed God into things like funding abortion. How in the world can you do that? How can you bring God into the, into the, the killing of children? And, but she's done it. She has done things and said things and gone along this way and, and sometimes she starts quoting scripture to support something that she wants to do and I'm thinking God is not in that at all. But see, they, they begin to tie that in. They're bringing dishonor to the name of God. And they're storing up stuff. That's not a matter that I have to take up with, with them. God is, He is, uh, God enough to take care of them. <laughs> he will, He will do so. But just understand, God is concerned about what His name is drugged through. God is concerned about what people tie Him to. Because He wants things to bring honor to His name. Not because he's got this big ego. God does not have a big ego. Come on, y'all need to tell me how great of a God I am. Come on, keep keep giving me the praise. Let's go. I need to hear it. That's not why he does it. He wants people to know how great of a God he is so that the people of the world will come to him. If the people of the world think he's a baby killer, if the people of the world think that, well, I don't know what happened. I guess God needed my baby more than I needed him. And they hear this, they think God's a baby killer and that God's coming to get your babies. And they, you know, they think of, uh, there's other things in there. I'm just doing that, that one example. That's bringing dishonor to God. Why in the world would you serve a God who's going around killing babies? Taking them from their moms. They wake up and all of a sudden the baby's dead. That's not, that's not bringing honor to God. God wants our testimony, the things that we do to bring honor to His name, so that people say, look how good of a God they serve. I want to serve that God. Look at the things that God has done in their life. I want to serve that God. That's what Israel was supposed to be. Israel was supposed to be the beacon of prosperity. Look at how the land produces its fruit. Look at how the land produces in its crops. And these folks only sow six years out of seven. Six years out of seven. And they outproduce us who are working seven years in a row. How in the world can that be? Beside that, they take a day off every week. They have that Sabbath day. Now they got those feast days. And they're looking at all this and say, how is it that they can live like this and prosper so much? Boy, our God doesn't do things like that for us. This is what was supposed to happen with Israel and the world. And the world would come and they would, they would come to Israel and say, Israel, tell us how we can serve this God of yours. Because your God has shown us to be, He is great. He is a great God. He takes care of you. He looks after you. Enemies have come and tried to come against you. And your God has fought for you. Tell us how we can serve this God. But Israel didn't walk that way. And they didn't do that. And then after they were dispersed, they were supposed to go into the world and testify once again about the greatness of God. We missed it, but God did not. And God will bring us back. You watch. You watch. You keep an eye on us. Because God is bringing us back into the land. And when we get back in that land, that land that is desolate will become flourishing and plenteous. Verse 21. But I am concerned for my holy name, which the house of Israel have profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say, say that a house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. Wherever they went. 
Whatever nation they went into, they profaned His name. Verse 23, And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. Since the day's coming, there's going to be, you guys aren't the ones who are, going to, who are honoring the name of God, but there's children of yours that are going to come up and they are going to honor me. They are going to honor me. And I'm going to bring them in to abundance, prosperity. It's going to be better for them in their day than it was ever for you guys. And people are going to see that and they're going to say, how great is this God? So God has concern for His holy name. But again, it's not for ego reasons. It's not for, because He wants everybody to think, well, He's such, such a big shot. So Israel's idolatry, it defiled the land, but it also profaned the name of God. In um, Ezekiel 20, verse 39, As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Go serve every one of you his idols, and hereafter, if you will not obey me, but profane my holy name no more with your gifts and your idols. God doesn't want this stuff to go on. If you will continue to profane the name of the Lord and whatever activity you're doing, God will see to it that that activity is stopped, that you are stopped, that we will not continue to go on that way. See, the revelation of God's name and His character was a major aspect of God dealing with Israel. And they were not walking that way. One of the reasons that Abraham was selected, that God pulled Abraham, was because I know He will teach His children how to serve me. So God intends to restore this nation, not because they deserve restoration. Nowhere in this does it ever talk about them deserving restoration. He's doing it for His name. Now remember Moses, when he was interceding for Israel? How many times did Moses make intercession for Israel? And when he made intercession for Israel, he always went after the name. Your name will be blasphemed among the nations. The nations are going to say, he couldn't bring them in the land, therefore he killed them out here. Don't let them say that about you. He brought in the name. Moses knew his God. He knew he's out to show how great his name is. Because if I show how great my name is, if I show how great I am in serving, in, in, in the people who serve me, if I show that, they will surely want to come. Just because, just for selfish reasons, if nothing else, it's better if we go over here and serve the God of Israel than if we continue to serve these idols. They haven't done anything for us at all. And one of the things that the idols would do, they sacrifice their babies to the idols. What do you think the devil's trying to do when he inspires those thoughts inside of people? God took your baby. Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. He hasn't lost sight of them. If God's counting the hairs on your head, He knows where you live. And He says, I'm, I'm not losing sight of you. Every single bunch of you went over here, bunch of you went over here, and then once you got over here, you got moved around here, and you got moved over here. And um, I, I haven't lost any of them. I know where all of them are. And he says, when the time comes, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to get you. Doesn't matter what nation you're in, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get you. And we're going to bring you back. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries. They weren't just in one or two, they were in a bunch of them. And bring you into your own land. Now we're going to see some elements of the coming restoration in the next verses. If you want a parallel passage for this to go back and look at, check out 
Ezekiel chapter 11, 14 through 21. Let's just read this here. But the first thing we're going to see is that God will gather them. The second thing we're going to see here is in verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. So the second thing is God will cleanse them and give them a new heart. God will cleanse them and give them a new heart. Now I saw this note on here and I don't think this is true. But I saw this note that uh, you know some of the denominations some of the groups out there that uh, instead of immersing people in baptism, they sprinkle them. Some people think they got that from this verse. I really don't think that was it. And I try to tap into some of my church history and uh, some of the courses I've been through. I am, I have this vague memory that the reason that that the, the sprinkling got started way, way back was not because they were trying to make a mockery or or get away from what was going on. I believe there was some kind of persecution or something was going on that was was keeping them from being able to baptize in the normal way. And so this was another way they came up with to be able to do it more in a private way that the away from the persecution instead of out by the rivers and baptizing people out there and becoming um, an open prey for those who would come and counsel them for for uh, baptizing and and um, making converts. Uh, that's just a vague memory of that. I, I didn't have time to go out and check that out before the for the service. So if you want to go check that out yourself, you can you can do so. But I don't think that any denomination took this sprinkling clean water on you as a reason for the for the baptism while they uh, sprinkle instead of uh, immerse. Let's go on to verse twenty six. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is what God wants wants to do. Right now, the, the law, of course, was, was written. It was a written law. They had to come up to the law. And, and look at that. Now, we read this and many times we're seeing the New Testament. The New Testament when the spirit of God was put inside and there's certainly an application <clears throat> that would be there. But this prophecy is talking about them being restored the first time. They were restored twice after this. They're going to be restored once from the captivity that was over in uh, Babylon and then transferred over into Persia. And then they're going to be brought in again after World War II and the things that occurred with that, they're bringing them into the land. That God once again gathered them from all the nations on that as well. So it seems like there was an Old Testament application in this, not just a New Testament application. That even in the Old Testament, before the coming of Christ, when they were gathered, that God said, I'm gonna, we're gonna do something different. Now Israel never, never had to, um, wrestle with idolatry after the captivity. After they were taken captive by Babylon, once they were released by the Persians and sent back into their home, when Jesus comes on the scene, even before Jesus was on the scene, they did not deal with idolatry. They dealt with religion. They dealt with uh, uh, salvation through the law, through uh, being good and living up to the law instead of what was what it was intended to do. They uh, they lost sight of some things, but they did not go back into idolatry. You didn't go back there. Jesus didn't go back there and see idols in the temple. They were they were purged of that type of, of stuff. That didn't come up again. But he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will take that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes. Now, that's not doesn't mean against their will. It means that that spirit's going to be rising up on the inside of them. This is what I, I want to walk in the statutes of God. I want to do the things that God wants me to do. That was the direction they were going to they were going to go. Verse twenty eight. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. Now this is God calling for the grain. God God is saying, grain, seeds, you're going to produce. Imagine that. As the farmer, I don't have to go out there and say, seeds produce. God's calling for it. It's going to produce. We're going to bring this out. He said, I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses and I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. Isn't that great to have no famine? That land was going to produce so much that there would not be any any famine anymore. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and increase of your fields, so that you never need again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. He's, he's going to multiply the fruit of, of the trees and increase what is grown in the fields. Now when they came into the land, it was the land that was flowing with milk and honey. They brought grapes that were huge that had been carried on sticks between the shoulders of two men. And God says, we're bringing it back into that, that kind of uh, produce. And then Israel fell into rebellion again. And they got judged and Rome came in and burned the place and it became desolate for many years and it wasn't producing. And then Israel came upon the land after World War II and they were restored and they set out to irrigate and they set out to do some things and that land began to bear fruit again. Now I wanted to spend a little bit more time on this but I'll let you do this on your on your own. Uh, I am to- the, the one report I was able to get hold of and it was just one. I always like to get two or three different reports and and um, and look at that, but I was only able to read the the one, and that kind of got me going. To, let's go out there and find some more. But I saw that uh, Israel only has about twenty percent of their land uh, producing food, but they feed they they produce enough food to satisfy ninety five percent of what they need on twenty percent of the land. Now they're working, of course, on extending that to more. I didn't, uh, I don't remember when that report was, whether that report was five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, or whatever it might be. Those numbers might have increased since then. But we do know that the land of Israel has become very productive. Up until Israel took it again, no one wanted the land. They just sat there desolate. Once Israel took it, then they got it producing. Now all of a sudden it's producing food. Food is necessary, especially in that part of the world. There's a lot of places, a lot of wilderness, a lot of desert areas, a lot of places where food doesn't grow. But it's grown in the area of Israel, so now everybody wants it. Now people want to go out there and to and to get it. And uh, the food is very good. Apparently, there's some things that grow in Israel that uh, are better than grown elsewhere. So people are in demand for that. But this is what God is saying: I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields, so that you will never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. This verse tells us all kinds of things about the children of Israel here. When they are brought in, he says, you're going to see all the abundance I'm going to put, I'm going to bring upon the land. All the good things I am bringing. And you're going to say, "That's this comes from God. And then you're going to remember, oh, we were so unfaithful to God. 
I remember the stories. I remember hearing the things and the idolatry that we had had walked into. Uh, the high places that we had set up. The type of sacrifices that we were doing. And he says that you would... Uh, how is his, his wording for this? You will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourself in your own sight. They are not as they were in Ezekiel's day blaming others. They are not going to be blaming others. They're going to be saying, Oh, it is our fault. Why did we do that? Why did we walk that way? Why were we not faithful to our God? That's how we need to be with God. Stop blaming people for the things that are going wrong. Stop blaming people for the the things that aren't quite right and realize if it's not right, there's something that I'm doing. There's something I'm not walking in. And that's what they did. You will loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. See, that's a changed heart. And that's why God said, I'm going to change that heart that's inside of you. I'm going to put my spirit on the inside of you. And when you remember those things that you once did, you can say, oh, still, that causes me pain. I can imagine the pain it caused God when he saw us doing this. That causes me pain just to remember it. Because of their changed heart. Verse 32. Not for your, your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. It's not because you guys are all that great. It's not because you guys are all that special. You may think you're special, but it's not because you're special. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God. On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. So the past will be remembered with remorse. And he also promises that ruins will be rebuilt and the desolate land will be tilled. No one wants to till desolate land. It doesn't produce anything. But they're going to. They're going to take that step of faith. They have come into a land that is desolate. And they're going to believe the words of the prophet. And they said, God, you said when you brought us into this land that this land would produce again. So we're going to go out to this desolate place. Because that's what it was. It was just desolate. It hadn't produced. for for Israel was out of that land for 70 years. It had not produced for 70 years. No crops. You put stuff in the, in the, in the uh, ground and nothing would come up. You're just wasting seed. So eventually people stop sowing into it. But they're going to come in there and they're going to take hold of the promises of God. God said that this land would produce. He said the land would be tilled and the seed would produce. So we're going to step out there and we're going to, we're going to till this land that has not produced anything. There was a, a, a step of faith. It didn't just happen. They didn't just walk out there and corn is growing and wheat is growing and grain is growing and all this stuff is just growing. Wow, we didn't have to sow it. Here it is. It's just there. I guess from now on we'll sow it. That's not how it happened. They walked out to a desolate place and they took the word that the prophet spoke and they said, God, this is the word that you said. When you had the Nehemiahs and the Ezra's go out there, other people probably along with them, they had the words of Ezekiel. They had the words of the prophet. And they said, this is what was prophesied, that we would come into the land. We have come into the land. He said we would rebuild the walls. We have rebuilt the walls. We have rebuilt the houses. The cities are rebuilt. He also said, the land will be tilled and it will produce. So go out there and till the land and produce it. So they had to go out to a desolate land. 
that did not have any production at all, has not had it for decades. And they had to, to invest in that land. They had to take time and till it. And they had to buy seed and put that seed into the ground. And the whole time, you know, the enemy's telling them, this hasn't produced anything for anyone. Why do you think it's going to produce for you? And they have to keep going back to the Word of God. What did the Word of God say? It will be tilled and it will produce. They had to keep going back to it. Keep going back to it. And keep staying with it. And then it produced. It did stuff. Things grew. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. Now they hadn't seen the Garden of Eden. They just heard stories about the Garden of Eden. But they're saying this land, it was desolate before. But now look at it. It's like the Garden of Eden. This, this place is like a garden. It's, it's just green and things are growing. Wow. What a place. And the wasted, desolate, ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around, you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. I have spoken it. I will do it. But these people, at the time of this going on, they had to take God's word for God, you said it. You said it. You spoke it. I'm going to believe it. And God did it. Verse 37, thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. He says the people are going to be called out. We're going to have all kinds of people coming in from all, all nations all around and they're going to fill this place. And then those people that are here, they're going to be fruitful themselves and we're going to have babies. And we're going to have those babies that are going to grow up to be men. They're going to grow up to be women. And this place is going to produce. And this place is going to be filled. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now in verse 35, it said that Israel will have, will dwell in fortified cities. Now here's something of note. In chapter 38, in verse 11, we're not there yet. We will be there. But you remember this, this chapter well. This is where Gog is coming against the people who dwell, and it, it uses this phraseology, who dwell not in fortified cities. Huh. Who dwell not in fortified cities, but in unwalled villages with neither bars nor gates. We find God coming against the people to, who dwell not in fortified cities, but in unwalled villages with neither bars nor gates. So, it refers to Israel. He said, they lived in unwalled cities. That's what it's going to use the phraseology for. They live in unwalled cities. But Ezekiel here, in two chapters earlier, is calling their cities fortified. Now what we have here is two different times. There is the first time that Israel is restored and they will build the walls around the city and it will be fortified. And there's a second time that it is done in which walls are useless. In our day and age, walls around the city don't have the same effect to protect it like they did back then. And so the, the walls aren't there. But there are still fortifications they can do and Israel may not have walls around their city in the same type of protection but they have uh, one of the most sophisticated missile systems to shoot down missiles that come on in. So every time that Syria gets the idea to throw some missiles their way, they have their uh, 
their missiles system set up and they start taking them out. And of course, they got those things from us, but they've uh, used them, developed them. I'm not sure how much they've uh, changed them on their own. But that's where we see them in, at work. We don't have a whole lot of missiles coming in here in the United States. If we did, we would uh, fire them off too and, and do the same thing. But they have them going off over there. And so they use these things. They have ways to keep them down, but they're unwalled cities. Now we look at a lot of that and say they're in unwalled villages, un- unwalled cities, because they're at, uh, at, in a state of peace and they don't expect war. And that may be very well too. Well, we'll cover that more when we get up to chapter 38. But here finishing this off, we see that God has, had taken the mountains. The mountains of Israel, he called the ancient, uh, uh, the ancient heights. The ancient high places, Edom, they wanted these. They saw those things, we want them. What God had, God had created Israel. It's a beautiful land when he created it. And beautiful mountains. And then sinners moved into the land, the Canaanites. And they brought in all kinds of idolatry that Satan had inspired in them. And they took those beautiful mountains and they put these high places on it. And these high places became very much known for the things that were done on them. And they desecrated God's high, uh, God's uh, beautiful mountains that he had made. And so he brought Israel in and Israel took those high places and they tore them down. And they restored the beautiful mountains that God had created. When God created all the mountains of the world, they were all beautiful. But man had gone in and they had put some of their structures up there and some of the things that they built to try and take away from some of that, that, that beauty that was there. But God told Israel, go in there and purge these things. And they went in there and they purged them. And they took them out. And then Israel went and rebuilt these things. And these things came back. Put in your, your outline for you. What God has purified and made good, the world will pollute and make evil as soon as they gain or regain it. Whatever the world takes, whatever the world gains, whatever the world regains, they will take those things and they will pollute it. They will make it evil. God made it and made it perfect. Everything in this world was created by God. There's nothing in this world that God did not create. He created every mountain, every valley, every river. He created everything that's there, every rock, every tree. These are things that He created. Man has taken those things and made them into some evil, evil stuff. So just because the world ruined it doesn't mean that God can't purify it for use again. And just because the, the world ruined those mountains of Israel didn't mean God couldn't take them back. And He took them back. And He said, tear them down. Tear those things down. Rip them down. Get them out. We don't want that stuff anymore. So I began to think of what are some modern day things that we can relate to this. And I, I, I wrote down a, a short list. You can probably add to this. You can think of some things on your own. These are just some things that I wrote down. First thing is music. Did God create music? Boy, He sure did. We saw from the, the Old Testament scene that Lucifer was very much involved in the music and the things that were going on in the area of music in heaven. And he's, it's down here on this earth, it's very perverted by uh, uh, just some of the things that, that go on in the area of music. Not all music down on this earth is perverted, but there is some some music that is. And just because the enemy has perverted a certain type of music doesn't mean it's all bad. Doesn't mean just because it sounds like like this. You know, you may, some of you may not like country music. 
But if uh, if some believer is inspired to write some country-sounding song to the glory of God, just because people write nasty country songs doesn't mean that that one is. And you could say, say that for all the types of, of songs, other types of music as well. There are some types of music I just don't enjoy. But it doesn't mean that it can't be used to glorify God. So music, just because the world has taken over it in, in some parts doesn't mean that that has to be be something that can't be purified, purged, and used for the kingdom of God. Entertainment. Boy, we've seen entertainment go go uh, really in a bad way. And some of the things that are done in the area of entertainment just uh, just shouldn't be done. Just the, the the sexual content that is there, the language that would go on. Probably seeing some of that change now with uh, uh, what people will be permitted to do. But uh, entertainment certainly has been impacted. TV shows, you'd be able to just sit down and you used to be able to just watch TV. Now, oh no, we can't watch that show. That show has got all this stuff going on with it. Well, houses. Sometimes the devil gets his people to move in on a house and they take over that house and they do all sorts of evil things with it. Just uh, just amazing. I remember uh, one church, we were uh, we used to live near this church growing up and there's this... Um, house that was right next to where the where the church was and the people who lived in that house used to come to the church a little old lady i still remember her name and just a sweet old lady and she would come in she would clean the church she would do different things in the church just just a sweet sweet lady and uh i mean she was she was old and i was little i mean she was (laughs) she was old I'm sure she wasn't, but I just had that idea. You know, she's probably close to 100 years old when I was a kid. She probably wasn't. She was probably in her 60s or 70s like that. But, you know, you just you, you think certain ways as a kid. Well, she eventually died. And uh, the house that she had got sold. Then, uh, if I believe, if I remember the, the, the right house, uh, people moved into that house and turned it into a tarot cart reading place and uh, things of, of this nature. Well, they took a house... And this, this woman, she used to pray a lot. She would have people over to her house and minister to them and just all these great things going on. Well, then the devil just moved in and took this thing over. Well, that doesn't mean that that house has to be burned now. Uh, you can have other people move on in there and uh, cast out all that sort of stuff and, and uh, turn it back into the, the things of God. You can, you can do that. That's what God had Israel do when he went into the land of Canaan. The idolatrous people that were in there before, they, they, they took this beautiful land that God had and they did all this horrible stuff with it. But you come on in and you purge it of all that stuff. You can purge housing. You can purge buildings. Education is a good thing. But it's been corrupted by, by mankind. And the things they're doing in the name of education now are terrible. And people are coming out with a mentality that, uh, that is tough to deal with to get the truth into people. Because of what's going on in education. Doesn't mean education is bad. It means what the world is doing with education is bad. And what they're teaching people in the education is bad. But there's still a good education, there's a bad education. I wrote down in here even TV and news shows. I've have, I sometimes have an idea that news shows, they're, they're unredeemable. There is not a news show on TV that I watch. Not a single one. 
if something's going on and I need to to you get the idea, well, I'll turn on and just see what's going on with this thing. You know, it might be an election, it might be a hurricane coming through some part of Florida, something like that. And but anymore, nope, I don't even want to turn it on. There's nobody out there I want to turn on and watch the news. But I have to keep in mind that God can move upon people and they can start a news show and uh, and God be with them and 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 make it into a good one. That can happen. I have to be open to that. Families. The enemy has gotten in and, and has perverted what a family is. But it doesn't mean what a family is is perverted. It means what the world has done with it is perverted. Marriage. They've perverted what marriage is. Contracts. Contracts have become so perverted. It used to be that if two people shook their hands and say, hey, let's, this is this is what we're going to do. I'll do this for you. You do this for me. You pay me this. I do that. And you just shake on it and that's it. And that thing was done. And if it wasn't done the way that it was supposed to be done, oh, well, we got to make sure we take care of that because we shook on it. And now you have to have 3,600 pages of all the details, everything dotted and crossed, because uh, they might be able to find some way to finagle out of it. Well, you know, it's said in the contract. We're no longer in the spirit of contracts. We've messed with what contracts are. Court system. We look at the courts. How many of you have a good idea, a good, a good picture of what a court system is? We see courts and we think evil, perverse. Nothing good is coming out of this. And yet, what do we see up in heaven? Is there not a court in heaven? Is there not an accuser? Is there not a defense attorney? Is there not a judge? All these things are going on. But we can get an idea that because courts have become so perverted, there's no good one. But there can be a good one. Medicine. Boy, people have perverted medicine to the, to the point. You know, it used to be that medicine was just out there to try and do, do good for people. Anymore. That's, that's not necessarily the case. Now we've got all these things going on with vaccines that people want to tack this thing into it and put this stuff onto it. And, um, they're using, using some things that people don't really want in their bodies into these vaccines. Doesn't mean all vaccines are bad. There's a lot of good vaccines that came out. The polio vaccine, that saved a lot of lives. That helped a lot of people. Smallpox. A number of different things that they came out. Then they rarely come out with vaccines. They rarely come out with things to, to help with that. It didn't mean that all of them were bad. But boy, anymore, they're just, it just seems like, you know, the, the, the little babies, you know, they're two months old, three months old, and well, we're going to give them seven different vaccines, ten different vaccines today. I mean, come on, that's not good for be doing anybody, let alone one that's that young. Well, I put this in in my notes; it's not in yours. What if your life used to be in the hands of the world? What if your life used to be in the hands of the enemy? But it's now not. Has the enemy convinced you that your life is forever tainted? That your life is forever evil? That forever you'll be no good because of what you had done? Because of what the devil did do? Because of what you walked in? Boy, didn't Paul have to get over this? All the people that he killed? All the people that he persecuted? 
all the things he did against the, the kingdom of God? So how about you? Were you once used for the enemy? Can God or has God purified you for the master's use? And if he has, don't go back looking at that past life and say, yeah, but I did this. Oh, but I did this. Oh, no, you've been purged. You've been cleansed. You've been made ready for the master's use. Let the master use you. The same way that those mountains that God called beautiful and God said what they would be producing, that God called his people back to. They were filled with idolatrous worship. Lusted after by a group from Edom who came and took them and we're so glad they got the ancient high places back, these mystical places with special powers. And they revived them. But God would once again purge them and cleanse them from all these things. If God has purged you and cleansed you from all those things from old, just know He did a thorough job. No matter what the devil wanted to taint you with from the past, you've been purged You've been cleansed. And though you are barren and desolate, you will once again become fruitful, multiply, and do great things for the kingdom of God. Father, I thank you that our life has purpose in you, that you have a direction that you take us. And no matter what things we got involved with in the past, when we come to you, you can make us clean. You purge us of all that evil stuff that was there. And once again, the mountains have become beautiful. And the mountains are filled with the praises of God. I thank you, Father, that you look on us as even more value than those mountains in Israel. I thank you for the time that you took with us to get rid of the old and bring us into the new. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.